0: Okay, I think we're ready to begin. Uh, We're going to be studying primarily John chapter 3. But I want to bring some other thoughts to your attention right quick. With all that's going on over there in Israel, I know that the world's attention is is somewhat over there. And... I'm reminded of a, a quote that I, I read some time ago from Leighton Talbert. And I cannot for the life of me right now remember where that source is, but I can probably find it. But here's what he said, and I want you to think about it. It says, Beware that your authority of your opinions does not exceed your knowledge of the facts. Now I'm gonna have to quote that for you again because it's a profoundly important statement. Beware that the authority of your opinions does not exceed your knowledge of the facts. I was thinking about that statement as it relates to what's going on over there in the Middle East right now. And there are a lot of opinions about it and there's a lot of, of sorrow uh, concerning the death of so many people over there. Uh, especially the women and the children. This is something that, that draws at a person's heart and I'm certain it it causes people to even question God and God's love and why he would allow uh, things like this to happen. But I'm afraid that the authority of our opinions and the natural way that we look at things in the world will cloud our understanding and grasp of the actual facts of what's going on over there right now. And something I've said in these lessons uh, for quite some time now is that the message from heaven is probably one of the, well, it's not probably, it is. It's the scariest message that I've ever heard. Uh, what I what I read in the Bible, what the Bible has to say about me, is is a horrible message. And uh, and I I lived so many years of my life having no real grasp of how horrible the message was. And how deep the problem was that I had in terms of my need for personal salvation. I had no clue that it was as bad as it was. And uh, so we start off in life, you know, going to church and hearing a, a message and a preacher up here preaching and so forth and. Our inclination is to think that the bad people are somewhere out there, but it certainly isn't, you know, me. I mean, sure, I need to be saved, but I never really understood from what. I never did. And uh, I just had a very, very shallow, superficial understanding of salvation, and it was basically... Getting over my fear of getting out of the seat and coming forward in the meeting and taking the preacher's hand, and if I would do that, then I could be saved. But I never knew from what. And I submit to you that most people who've ever been baptized have no clue from what, have no clue concerning the horrible message from heaven. But I'll tell you one thing. Now that I've been studying the Bible for the time that I have, now that I have understood what the Bible actually has to say, I'll tell you one thing, and until breath leaves my body, I'm going to tell everybody that will listen to me. Something about how horrible this message is and how desperately we need to be saved. <clears throat> we need to be saved. And we need to be saved from what we are. That's what we need to be saved from. Now, I want to relate these things to uh, what's going on over there in the Middle East. And I'm telling you, it's horrible beyond imagination. I mean, you see these bombs going off, and you see people with fear just oozing from their faces, and the women and the little children that don't know what's going on, and and can you imagine the sound of a huge bomb going off, I mean, and what that must do to a person, and And to be in a building and all of a sudden everything is falling on you and you're being covered over and people are dying by the hundreds and thousands over there, it's horrible. And we don't understand why it's going on. The truth is the world does not really know what's going on over there. Well, I'm going to show you a couple of things. I want you to turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12. And I want us to understand that our problem is so deep. It's so deep. And so unknown, the whole issue of the entire Bible is so unknown by the world, that God, that loving God has to go to extremes that really uh, leave us uh, almost in the dark as to what kind of God he is. Because of what goes on and what he allows to go on. And the reasons why he allows it to go on. But here in Zechariah chapter 12, I'd like for you to read with me at verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And here we find it. And they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him. As one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So what is this talking about? I'll tell you what it's talking about. You go back and you read the Old Testament. You know the prophets were sent by the mercy and grace of God. Pleading through Jeremiah and Isaiah. For the people of Israel to repent and to turn back to him. Because they had gone into apostasy. They had crafted a God of their own making. It's called idolatry. It's the worship of your own will. Through images that really reflect the way you would like for God to be. That's what idolatry is. And they would not repent. They would not return to the Lord and to his commandments. They would not. And so they were determined they were going to have it their way according to their concept of what truth should be. And so God sent the Assyrians first to absolutely destroy the northern ten tribes And then he sent the Babylonians to absolutely level uh, Benjamin and Judah, the southern tribes, and totally destroyed the temple and killed all the princes and the priests, all of the leaders. They died. They sure did. And Israel stayed in a state of unbelief. For years and years and years. And their wicked heart was so hardened against the truth. That when he dis- he came. Some 2,000 years ago. Pure love. The one who created them. And loved them more than they could ever know. But they hated him. And killed him. Now I want you to have that in the backdrop of what's going on over there in Israel right now. And I want us to understand that God is not somebody that has pleasure or takes pleasure in the suffering of people. But the reason he is allowing these things to happen over there is because it's going to take, listen, Great tribulation to get them to stop going the way that they're going. Great tribulation. And finally, after great tribulation, this is going to happen. Right here that we just read. It tells us And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They crucified him. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son because he was the only son of God. And they're going to understand that. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. If you want to know why things are happening over there the way they are right now, I'm speaking of these things to provide a little bit of a foundation for believing that the message from heaven is horrible. Because It is. It's horrible. I don't think that we can hear this too often, that the message of the Bible actually teaches this horrible message from heaven, that every single one of us, including this speaker, deserves to be burning in hell forever without any possibility of ever getting out. I know that I deserve that, and it has taken me years to come to this understanding, and that's what's sad to me, is that my own heart could be so hard that it would take all of these years that I've lived for me to be able to begin to even penetrate the meaning of the Lord when he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I didn't understand that that statement really meant that I didn't know a thing in the world about him. That's what it's saying. Think about it. My thoughts are not your thoughts. What does that mean? Well, it means you don't know a thing in the world about me. That's exactly what it means. That's a horrible message, isn't it? What do we think we know about God? We need to be careful concerning the authority of our opinion when we read the Bible and when we we look at what's going on over there in Israel and, and it pulls the strings of our heart with deep compassion for them and so forth when we really do not know the facts. The facts of what's going on. Why is it happening? Why is it that people we love, people that we know, who we've tried to witness to that keep going the other way and and will not listen and will not come to church? Why is it that they they, can, they persist in going away from you and away from God and away from the message of this book. Why is it that people do this? And what is it going to take to stop them? Better think about it. I can reflect back over my life and I can, I can put my finger right on the things that i had to realize that was actually what god would have to allow to come into my life to get me to stop and from his perspective it was worth it but in the course of it taking place i certainly didn't think it was worth it i I totally did not understand God. And I thought that his very existence was to hear my prayer and fulfill the things that I wanted in my life. And that's not the truth. And the authority of my opinion was totally inconsistent with the authority of the facts of what God gives us in this book right here. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. Kind of like the time when I was a 10-year-old boy, I got up out of my seat and came forward in the meeting because... I thought it was my responsibility to join the club. You know, the religious denominational club. This is what Baptists do. You give the invitation. You get up out of your seat. You're embarrassed as you can be. You don't want to go in front of people. And you force yourself to come down the aisle because of the social pressures in the church. Well, have you gotten saved yet? Have you been baptized yet? Not having a clue what those things meant. I wonder if I stand up here as I'm standing up here saying these things, if this is ringing any bells. I wonder how many people who listen in on sermon audio will listen to these remarks and say, you know, that kind of sounds like it's me. Because that's sort of how it was when I went forward in the meeting, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I thought it was what you're supposed to do to get saved. You go forward in the meeting. But i tell you one of the reasons it's like this is because most preachers will never touch the horrible message from heaven. They'll never do it. They'll never talk about the false profession of faith and the multitudes of people that have it and are going to end up burning in hell forever. I'm telling you that the greatest judgment of God is going to be on preachers that do not preach the message of this book. Because it's the only way a person is going to get saved. It's the only way a person is going to get saved. And so we ought to all go through this experience here of looking upon that one that died for us upon Calvary's cross and realizing that we've got blood all over our hands. And unbeknownst to us, contrary to our opinion, we hated him. And proved it every day of our life. And we could have cared less about this book, and it may be the case that to this day, very few people are going to get up early in the morning and study this book as though their eternal soul depends on it. Because it does. It sure does. And what the Lord is looking for is not some kind of group mentality, some kind of collective religious practice where you come together and, okay, I've chosen to go to this particular denominational church and associate and affiliate with this particular group of people. And we fail to see that Jesus Christ died For me. Not just the world. That's too big to think about. But what about me? Okay, so God so loves the world. But what about me? What about the damnation that is on my soul? Do I really understand that? Jesus Christ died for me. If I was the only person that lived on the face of the earth, Jesus Christ died for me. And so the question is, why? It's a horrible message. So horrible. There is no way, apart from the message of this book, that I could even come anywhere close to understanding what I deserve. There's no way. It's not in my nature at all because all my life I have embraced the idea that I was not that bad, that I'm basically a pretty good person. And I could prove it to myself by seeing people that I believed were really bad. And so I compared myself with others. And the authority of my opinion certainly did not go together with the knowledge of the facts. And the facts are right here. And so there has to come a point where we as an individual have to get alone. Forget about everybody else. Forget about wife, husband, children, friends. Forget about everybody. Until there's no one in the room but you and God. That's it. And then I open this book and see what he has to say about you. And I'll tell you what you're going to discover. His thoughts are not your thoughts. That's right. His thoughts are not your thoughts. And his ways of dealing with you are not your ways. And what the Lord ultimately has to do to turn us back from our way and what we really want, which is a self serving life, we love the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We sure do. We feed on it every day, that's our nature. And the sad thing is, and this is part of the horrible nature, we can't do anything about it. And you can come to one church meeting right after another and hear the truth proclaimed in a way that you can quote it, you can you agree with it 100%, and you'll get up tomorrow and you'll still love the world and the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm telling you that the reason the Lord leaves that nature in you the way he does is so that you have a daily, I mean daily, reminder of the so great a death you deserve. Have I not said that before? I certainly have. And I'm telling you, we read the Bible and we read those little verses and and we read it over and we become familiar with the fact that it's in the Bible, but we don't enter into it in a way that it personally applies to us, alone in the room, just us and God. So great a death. Well, you've got to get into that and get all of that straightened out before you can in the slightest begin to embrace so great salvation and the love of God and the eternal future and heaven. Because none of those things will ever mean anything until you thoroughly understand the horrible message first. You've got to understand the horrible message first. And how close we came to losing our soul forever, and deservedly so. And how close was it? Well, I'll tell you what, I've spent considerable time reflecting back over my past. And I am still um, really in the dark as to how it was that I began to believe him and turn, when just about everybody I knew didn't, but I did, and I don't know why, and I don't really know how, to this day, I don't know, but I know that the Bible teaches, and these are the facts, wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads unto death and destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be the final. How did I get onto that little narrow road? How did that happen? I have no clue. But I did. I sure did. And I can say with all the authority of God himself, who told me, see, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and he has to reveal it to you by his spirit that you are his. teaches us that. His spirit has to commune with our spirit that we're the sons of God. That's the only way you can know. So I didn't really intend to get into these things this way this morning. I I know that we're supposed to be here in John's Gospel. But I feel like that the subject matter of the third chapter really goes to everything that I've been talking about. And the reason is because Nicodemus... Was about as high on this religious totem pole as you can get. He was a ruler in Israel. He was a ruler. It tells us that. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a ruler. Totally in the dark. Didn't have a clue what it meant to be born again. Didn't have a clue. Just like most people that go to church today, they're sitting in churches all over this town, all over this county, the state, and the nation. And they will not, in most cases, I'm telling you, hear a message from the pulpit teaching them how desperate their problem is and how personal it is. And Nicodemus was like that. And he belonged to a denomination, the Pharisees. That's about as knowledgeable as you could get when it came to the Bible and the Old Testament. But his thoughts were not God's thoughts. And his ways were not God's ways. And this man had no clue that he was on his way to hell. He had no clue. And the authority of his opinion was that he loved the truth. He loved the light. And God, who says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, said, no, Nicodemus, you don't love the light. You hate it. And that's what he tells us right here in verses 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness Rather than light because, mean, he tells us a reason, because their deeds were evil and we love it. We love it. We love evil. For everyone, not just some, but for everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. In Israel, right now today, the Jews that are true Jews, Orthodox Jews, hate Christians. You know why? I mean, I hate them. I've run into them. I'll never forget seeing a a Jewish rabbi at Sam's Wholesale in Fedville several years ago. And he had a little thing on his head up here. and Somehow or other, I got into a conversation with him and I was trying to engage him in a way that I could have a little bit of a conversation with him without offending him. And He told me that he was a Jew, and I've commenced to tell him how much I appreciated and loved the Jews. And one of the reasons I did is because Jesus Christ was a Jew. And all of a sudden, that man's countenance changed in front of me. And he took his finger just like this, and he stuck it right in my face. And here's what he said to me. He said, I'd rather see my children dead than to believe what you believe. I'd rather see my children dead. I'll never forget it. Never. We look at what's going on over there in the Middle East, we don't really have a clue. And the authority of our opinion uh, draws on our emotions to feel so sorry for everybody that's over there. There's a God in heaven who has a totally different view about what's going on over there. Totally different. He loves them more than we could ever love them. But He's aware of the horrible message that they don't want to believe. And he's fully aware of what it's going to take to get them to stop going the way that they love. And when you study this Bible, I mean, we talk about the rapture of the church, we talk about the tribulation period and the great tribulation, without even understanding what the great tribulation is all about. Let me tell you what the horrible message is, and it's the truth. It's truth. It's going to take that to get them to wake up and stop going the direction that they're going. It's going to take that. Because just like Nicodemus, he thought he was special. He thought he was the chosen of God. He was certainly better than those old dirty Gentiles and that's the mentality over in Israel right now today. Sure is. When the cameras went to the kibbutz, uh celebration of the Yom Kippur victory war, the camera went across the area there, and what it showed... Just before the bombings began to take place, the killing began to take place, you saw the Jews down there, uh, very much like what Moses saw when he came down from the mount with the Ten Commandments. And you saw these beautiful girls out there gyrating and dancing, very skimpily dressed, and sitting on the counter at a bar was Johnny Walker Whiskey. Bottle of, big bottle of Johnny Walker Whiskey. And several other big name brands of very well-known whiskey. And they were out there doing what? Thanking God for his intervention and in the Kipper Kemper War or Were they actually celebrating their victory, kind of like the Jews' Passover, as though it belonged to them? No. Passover didn't belong to them. This was the Lord's Passover. And so here they are. They haven't changed a bit. Since Moses comes down from the mountain and becomes so angry at what he sees that he breaks the Ten Commandments, he throws them down and breaks them in pieces, God brings him back up again out of his mercy and grace. He tells Moses, he says, you go down there and chisel out two more tablets. But I want you to chisel it out. I'm not going to do it. You do it. I chiseled it out the first time, but you're going to do it this time. And the reason is because I want you to participate in man's nature toward me because this is what you're going to do to me when I come in the day of visitation. I'm going to come. And you're going to chisel me just like that rock. You're going to break me in pieces. You're going to crucify me. You're going to take my life because you hate my life. You're going to do that. That is the real reason Jesus Christ came into the world, was to prove how horrible we are. If a person does not believe what I just said, I don't believe they believe the Bible, and I don't believe they're even saved. I really don't. I don't see how a person could be saved and not believe these things that are being said this morning, right now. I don't see how it's possible. I would love to believe that I'm wrong. But I don't see how I can be when I I study the Bible and I take the words to mean exactly what they say. And so am I more of a literary person than the creator God, who is the Alpha and Omega, who is the source of all understanding and wisdom and knowledge, And instruction. He's a genius writer. Genius writer. And is absolutely capable of writing the thoughts of his mind and his ways and the reason why. He's a genius at it. And so, as we get into this third chapter, we find that man at his best state doesn't have a clue what being born again means. He has no idea. No idea. The man is absolutely lost. And you don't see one word in this chapter about coming down the aisle. It is just a, 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 a dialogue between the creator God and Nicodemus, no one else. That's it. And the Lord Jesus does not tell him to get down on his knees and, and follow after me as I take you down the Romans Road. He doesn't say like most preachers, just repeat after me. Repeat after me. And give me a head nod if you agree with it. That's what most preachers do. And then most preachers stand up here beside of the person that has just professed to get saved and has come down the aisle to join the church. The preacher says... uh, Let us give an applaud to so-and-so here who has just gotten saved. As though that preacher has the authority to make such a statement. Because he doesn't. Nor a parent. My child is saved. My child is saved. We don't have it authority to do that when you read the bible you find out who has the authority to say that it's jesus christ the savior it's only the savior that can say it and he has to tell you personally that you're saved or you're hearing a second-handed from somebody else and you haven't gone to the only one that can save you and tell you that you're actually saved. It's Jesus Christ. The Lord knoweth them that are his. So how do we know that we're not in that number where he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity? How do we know that we're not in that number? Well, I'll tell you one thing, I have spent some time in agony trying to get it understood which of those two roads I was on, the wide one or the narrow one. And you don't want to trust your opinion about it, I can tell you that. because the authority of your opinion about your relationship to the Lord might not match up with the authority of the facts. And I submit to you that the authority of the facts is in this book, we better read it carefully. Nicodemus was a very lost man. And the Lord did not get him down on his knees and say, repeat after me. And he did not put his arms around him and embrace him. Like you see a lot of people do in religious circles. He told him the horrible truth. And that was the end of it. The last thing that he said to Nicodemus was, beginning at verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth and cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And that was the end of it. And obviously the Lord just walked away and left him holding that, holding that. And so we find out later that Nicodemus gets into a little bit of a conflict with his Pharisee brethren and puts the brakes on what they're thinking about him. And then finally, in the latter chapter of John's Gospel, we see Nicodemus coming with spices. Spices. And it was after he was crucified and dead. And he's come to an understanding, and he's there with. Joseph of Arimathea, who provides him, who's also a Pharisee, up there in that upper crust of religious people who were blind to the truth. And these two men finally come out from among them. And every indication is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are in heaven right now with the Lord. But the way he got saved was being confronted by the only one that can tell us the truth. Beware that the authority of your opinions Does not exceed your knowledge of the facts. Leighton Talbert. That's what he said in his book. I can't remember the title of it right now. But that is a profound statement, a profound statement. actually got five minutes am I clock right am I right it's 20 minutes still um, maybe I've, I've said enough this morning I, I've got a ton of stuff up here I could get into but I don't know that I could develop it uh, the way it needs to be. I really didn't intend to say all of those things this morning, but I, I just sort of sensed that this, for whatever reason, the Lord wants those things said. But please remember, as we look at the news and see what's going on over there in Israel, Please remember that the reason those people are suffering the way they are is because that is a picture of how hard the human heart is when it comes to the truth of this book. And when we look at that over there and consider our own lives, what is the loving God going to have to allow to come into our life to get us to stop And put him first. What is it going to take? And when it comes to us talking with friends and relatives and our own children. You better keep this in mind. Because if you're not careful, you're going to start shaving a little bit. Shaving a little bit. And doing something completely contrary to what Jesus Christ did. He didn't shave it at all. Never. But you know what had happened? It cost him his life. And it might cost you your relationship with your children, your friends, and everything else imaginable. Because the truth is despised. And it may be despised, by your own children. Even a wife or a husband. Or people who've been best friends for years. We need the truth. We need the truth. Let's uh, let's stop here and look at the Lord in prayer. Brother Jim, peel would you pray for us, brother?